The real Spice Wars don't turn out so well for the little guy, but on the upside, there is just as much death and mayhem, yay! Welcome everyone to another round of the Mere Mortals book reviews. My name is Kyron and I do these book reviews for those who want to transcend beyond their own mere mortality to learn some history. And today we do indeed have some history. We have Nathaniel's Nutbeg by Giles Milton. And you might be, what was I referring to with the real Spice Wars? So that was a, a reference to June and the, the Spice Melange and the wars that they had there. But this book is about the Spice Wars in the real world. And this is back in the... 1500, 1600 era when ships were sailing from Britain, Great Britain, from uh, the Netherlands, from Spain and from Portugal. And they're all going to these tiny islands in East Indonesia and trying to retrieve the spices that were there because they were highly, highly valued. So I'm talking about nutmeg, mace, cloves, pepper, um, cinnamon perhaps as well they didn't mention uh, mace and cinnamon too much in the book but they were also in that that era now this book itself was published in 1999 and is about 370 pages in length and it's pretty much the whole story of this period so it lasts i would say about 150 years in duration starting from when the first boats actually went to the banda islands so these are a particular set of islands where these were the originations of um, nutmeg in particular, which is hence the title of the book, Nathaniel's Nutmeg. And so this was the only place on earth, I believe, at the time where you could get nutmeg from. So this was the first time Westerners actually went there. So there had been obviously people living there on the islands, the, the natives, and they had traded with other people in Indonesia and other people in India and things like that. But this is the first time we have that direct going this direct movement of westerners from their own countries purposefully all the way going to the direct source so it's really a book about shipping rivalry to be honest so it's it's talking about why these um why these spices were so valuable and then also the competition between these countries of trying to gain con control access of the so it's, it's told through individual adventurers and their ships, but it, it makes up a, a larger portion of, of the history of that era, to be honest, because this was one of the most important trades, one of the most valuable things, and it, was, it dominated that, that era of sailing and, uh, and that era of history. Now, onto the actual book itself and the, the author. He's pretty prolific. Giles Milton has written a lot of books, and it's kind of hard to say how reliable this book might be because he's written a lot of fiction. And so he has specializes in something called narrative history. So this is telling history, but through stories of individual people and characters. And it's, it's diving deep and it's told from, you know, sort of a, an observer as if they were there watching the crews and individual things they were doing, such as doing Shakespeare on their ships or when they first encounter the natives of these certain lands and things like that. So it's really hard to tell how much of this is, you know, direct truth. He does state that he has got most of his sources from actual logs written from that time, from these captains and from historical documents and whatnot. But then obviously he's put his own spice to say on the book itself and what he interpreted as as would have been happening in those times and you know it's 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 definitely not going to be 100 percent 
straight fact. It's it's probably leaning more towards the side of, of being more interesting as a story, but it still is pretty reliable in terms of the general history of what was going on. Now, I want to get into some of the, the themes of this. And the first that came up for me was death and disease, the price of adventure. So what would make someone want to be a merchant or a pirate? Because if you looked at it, there is so much bad things that are going on in this book. So many bad things. So one third of the ships, for example, never return. So this is uh, stats from England, I believe he was saying. And so imagine that you're you're setting off from your home country and there's a one in three chance your just ship is not going to make it back. And this would also coincide with one in three men never returning. So not only would they, you know, have their ships lost perhaps by pirates or just natural deterioration of the wood, you know, things get old. This journey that it takes from England to the Banda Islands would be about two years in length. So you're committing yourself to a two-year journey of, you know, never seeing your loved ones, never seeing your family again. This was ships full of men uh, as well. So I think it would be the rare exception for a woman to be on board, perhaps the captain's mistress or his wife or something like that. But, uh, in general, you're saying goodbye to your home country and you're going off. You're going to encounter tropical disease and scurvy and there's going to also be rancid meat and rats and all sorts of unpleasant things on your ships. And it was just like, what? Why Why would you want to do this? And the answer, I guess, we'll, we'll, we'll find in the next section. Um, but there was just so much bad stuff, so much bad stuff going on. So how did they actually die? I'll, I'll give a, an example of the the route because this can, can help enlighten what happened. So they were trying to find, first of all, a, a way to get to East Indonesia without having to go all the way down the, uh, you know, sort of Europe and then African continent, then jump over to South America and then make their way through sort of past the bottom part of South America and then onto the Banda Islands, so Indonesia. And this was just a tremendously long journey. And if they went over the top of the world, uh, i.e. through the Arctic, they could cut off, I think they were saying 2,000 miles, so a fair chunk of distance. What happened? Well, they tried to do that and they froze to death. <laughs> so a lot of the ships that weren't first did that would freeze. So you've got freezing. You could also be sold into slavery. Um, there would be the fights and the disease and mutiny on the ship. So they're leaving their port home. Uh, the longer the journey goes, the more restless the crew gets, the more likely you're going to encounter a Portuguese ship, which is not friendly, or a Dutch ship, which is not friendly. No one was really friendly back in those days. Uh, you could die by accidents, such has happened to one of the captains of these ships. He was, uh, I think they were saluting a... Uh, it was a celebration or the death of a, a a comrade on the ship. And so they were doing like a, a firing gun salute. And this guy was in his boat trying to meet up with them or something. And he just gets peppered with, with uh, bullets and dies. So they kill their own captain just by accident. Working on these ships is extremely, extremely dangerous as well. There's cannibals. So when you're landing in England, uh, sorry, not in England, in Africa, got to be wary of the... The cannibals keel hauling, which is just an absolutely brutal maneuver where they, if it's someone has done something and it's a punishment on the ship, 
you dunk them under the water under the prow of the boat and basically i think it would decapitate them if uh because of the speed the boat was going and if it didn't they'd drown and if not they would just sustain so many concussions and head injuries that you know they would pretty much die uh, there was also the starvation and then you know once you've perhaps done all of these things you've gone on this big journey you've come home through strange lands and counted all of these things you've got the bubonic plague waiting for you back in England <laughs> so th- these these times were hard and these uh, these people were hard as well because they needed to be to to go on these journeys so what was the motivation you know encountering all of this what what would it be you can sort of split it, I guess. I, I imagine that it was from the captain side of things. It was mostly the adventure, the fame, the renown that could bring uh, something additional to, to why you would want to do these things. And if you're the captain, obviously, you're, you're probably going to be getting better food than the, than the people beneath you. You're going to have better quarters. You're not going to be you know, infested with rats and stuff like that. You're going to have a bit of distance. So you're not going to be, you know, spreading disease with all the other men and and the the crew in general. So it's probably a bit better for them. So they might not have experienced all of these bad things as, as much as say their crew did, but then why would the, the crew go? And you just have to guess it's for economic reasons, probably for money. The, the, reasons of the amount of people dying and whatnot they they surely would have known the the statistics or of of how risky it is to do these things but i'm guessing being in england at that time you know maybe it wasn't even better maybe it was you're, you're choosing to potentially have some wealth and some something good happen if you go on the ship and uh, adventure to the Band Islands versus just starving to death or encountering the plague or whatnot in England. So I imagine for those crew members, it came down to a strict monetary choice. And this then gets us into the second theme, which was Staggering Wealth, the Dutch East India Company. And the spices would equal wealth, essentially. And the and I'm not just talking about trade and wealth of like a minuscule portion. I'm talking a huge, staggering wealth. And the the reason it was so valuable, these spices, was one, for the culinary uh, effects. So this would be the rancid meat, the rotting meat. If you put in a, a tiny bit of mace or cloves or something over it, it would mask the taste and, and potentially the smell of that. And this was back in the era when even kings and queens were having to eat rancid meat when the you know the stocks or the they had a bad harvest or or whatnot. So there was the the culinary effects, and then probably the more predominant one was the the thoughts of what it could do medicinally. So this is uh, people you know quack doctors, the plague doctors were selling these as as the cure to the the plague which was the you know the sweating disease i think they called it in the time there was also rumored to uh, res- um, stop flatulence and to improve bodily health and to do all of these sort of minor ailments as well it was sort of viewed as a spice that could just do everything and hence it was also very scarce it was very hard to get these these spices because they exist only in one portion of the world very very far away and the uh, a small handful of it would be worth a lifetime's work for for certain individuals. So they made sure that people who were offloading and unloading the spice from the actual ships, they weren't allowed to have pockets, for example, because 
there was they were worried that you know even tiny little dippings into the 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 caskets or whatever however they stored the spice would result in you know people just stealing money essentially stealing huge amounts of money um, from from the the coffers from the actual ships and the the Dutch East India Company was one of the wealthiest and I think even became the wealthiest in the entire history of the world company ever. It had an approximate uh, net worth or a value of 8 trillion USD. And so to put that into perspective, the the value of Apple and of Microsoft and those sorts of companies is around the 1 trillion mark. So it's imagine a company that is eight times bigger than Apple. And there you have how big this this company was. And that was the Dutch one. There was also the England one, which was the East India uh, Trading Company. And they would sort of fight, I guess, for the profits, for the the ability to to sell these and to have a monopoly on this very valuable um, commodity. And it was big risk, but there was also big rewards. So these ships, they would go out and they could potentially lose a fleet, have no idea what happens to it, but you only really need one of them to come back with half a cargo or a quarter cargo of these spices and you would have 100x your your initial investment so big wealth big value staggering wealth to be honest and it was how but how do you protect this how how do you make sure that your spices and that your trade is is protected and the answer to this was the death and destruction so there's sort of circling back around to the death and disease at the start and the the real spice wars they would do incredibly cruel things to each other to protect what they believed was their rightful lands, what there was their rightful, you know, claim to these islands, because this was back in the days where you could plant a flag and say, this is my land, I own it. And there was lots of torture, there was lots of foul play. And the story really focuses on England versus the Dutch, but there was lots of countries at war or at peace. And so you would have to know, okay, when can I you know, attack this other ship? And this is, remember all of this is back in the days before instant communication. So you could send a letter out and it might be six months before it's received. And in that time, your country has gone from peace to war. So lots of, lots of crazy stuff. And all of this created in this narrative of the book, I guess, of the spice wars and, and why these people were adventuring to these unknown crazy countries and why you had the biggest company in the world ever formed in this time. I'm going to get onto some observations now and uh, my maybe even some takeaways. And so one for me was, uh, once again, this title was slightly clickbaity, Nathaniel's Nutmeg. The the story of Nathaniel uh, Courthope, I think is how you pronounce it, and pronounced how I, I spelt it, just uh, C-O-U-R-T-H-O-P-E. And uh, it's the book is named after him, but his story is only about one quarter of the book. And in particular with him, he was on one of these band islands and essentially marooned there by his own country and told, hey, you need to protect this island. He had lack of resources. The Dutch were always trying to come to take it over. And he was starving. His men were starving. Um, they were basically just forced into into being there the whole time. And he held out for a, a number of years protecting this island. And this would end up having great consequences later on down the line. Um, but 
it's not really Nathaniel's nutmeg. It's uh, I, I feel the book title could have been slightly different because it's uh, it's about the whole time era of of the the warring, the shipping, the spice, the trading, the merchants, all of these sort of combined into more of a history project, not just focusing on Nathaniel Courthope. The I think one of the things is this this takes out the glamour of of sailing and adventure as well. Uh, if you if you thought being a pirate was cool, I imagine right before the battle maybe, but from everything else, it sounded just like death and disease. You you didn't want to be there, and it was a rough time for everyone involved. And uh, I yeah, I, I just can't imagine anyone nowadays wanting to be transported back to then if if you read a book like this and you're like ah you know you're probably going to die <laughs> you're probably and not in a glamorous way either you're going to die in a ignoble chuck his body over the side of the ship because he's infected with a tropical disease sort of death rather than a you know glory in in battle and and whatnot the last one was uh i would love to know the mindset of these sailors so what would it be like to know that you're going on a two to three year farewell that you are just going to say goodbye to your family and it's like hey i'm done uh, I'll, I'll hopefully see you in two to three years but there's probably a 50 50 chance that you're never going to see me again what would it take what were those conversations like what would be the mindset of these people were they driven to desperation? Was there something they really wanted to do? Did they think it'd be fun? Did they have, were they lied to about expectations? Were, you know, it's probably a mix of all of these things, but man, just to peer into that period of history and, and see and hear those things would be so, so cool. I would uh, absolutely love to do that. So in summary, uh, it's a nice overview of a wild time on the high seas, uh, compelling adventures and most of it um, based off of documents but still with elements of of fiction thrown into the book. Uh, It was a nice addition with the maps and drawings. I didn't mention that, but throughout the book, you will see uh, tiny little pieces of uh, illustrative drawings from the time and uh, some maps, which which does help of your geographical understanding of where these sailors were actually going down and how they were getting to places. Um, there was not that much about Nathaniel, but plenty of learning about history. So uh, I, I quite enjoyed the book. Maybe we'd be all uh, speaking Dutch without him, though, because one of the main takeaways from this was because of his final stand, um, the Dutch basically traded the the rights to that island. Um, they wanted that island so badly, so they got the rights for that island. But the English instead got Manhattan Island in uh, New York. So trade-wise, the the Banda Islands at the time, that might have been a good idea, but you can see from history now that uh, if the Dutch had stayed on Manhattan Island, they might have been the ones populating America. That could be, uh, we could have had uh, Dutch descendants there instead of English descendants, and then we could all be speaking Dutch nowadays. So we do have to thank Nathaniel for for that little quirk of history, I guess, because without him, uh, we might all be speaking something completely different. So without that, um, I'm giving the book a good six and a half out of 10. I enjoyed it. Uh, nice bits of history, interesting stuff, little bit of fiction. And, uh, I felt like it gave a good representation of what that time was like.
And so that is the end of the audio. Thank you for joining me. What are your thoughts on Nathaniel Courthope? Have you ever heard of him before? How about nutmegs and the spice wars, the period of history between the 1500s, early 1500s to sort of mid 1600s? I would love to know all of these things. The funnest and most uh, supportive way that you can do that is to do that via a boostergram. So if you go into a new podcast app.com, I will suggest a couple here Fountain, Breeze, Castomatic, Podverse. Uh, all of these are, are great ways for you to be able to send a, a message directly to me. I can receive it or read it out on the show on my end of month uh, recaps. And it, it really does help me support, you know, you'll, you've been listening to up to this point. Um, that's 20 something minutes of, of listening pleasure. How much did you enjoy that? How much do you value that? Uh, it could be worth, you know, something as little as a dollar a minute, or that's actually not that much. <laughs> uh, that's actually a fair bit. I, I should say it could be worth, you know, five cents a minute it could be worth, yeah, a dollar a minute. Uh, in any case, however much you support, uh, I, I really would appreciate that it helps to continue on the show and to, to make me uh, more motivated to, to improve it, to add in additional things because the more time I have not needing to worry about money, the more time I can devote to to the podcast and whatnot. So other than that, I really do hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the world. Chiron out.